Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to the book of Colossians, Paul letters, Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And you follow as I read out of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, way in the back of the New Testament. We'll begin at verse 1, and we'll um, stop at verse 10. You follow as I read. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face, seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you. With plausible arguments, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, it endures forever. You may remember back in the fall when uh, right before the elections, uh, the November elections, the, the election that saw the Senate and the House pass from uh, Republican control to Democratic control. Um, there was an event that took place that, that many suggested was the final straw. It was the thing that, that ultimately uh, did the Republicans in and, and handed the House to the Democrats and the Senate. Uh, it, was a, it was an ugly scene, and it involved us <laughs> because it was uh, the, um, the very unfortunate goings-on of one preacher by the name of Ted Haggard, who was the president of the National Association of Evangelicals and a pastor of a huge church in Colorado Springs. Remember that? He had, a, um, he had an illicit relationship with a man, uh, a male masseuse in Denver. And Remember that? That was last fall. And many people um, blame that for the, uh, the loss of Republican and, and control, which I'll let you decide whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. But after that event, um, the Christian magazines, um, Christianity Today, uh, World Magazine, uh, and even uh, um, Table Talk, they all had articles uh, concerning that event, that Ted Haggard event. And, and they were all coming at it at various angles, but um, the, the thing that they all seemed to have in common was they were asking the Christian community, how could this happen? How can we avoid this? 
how could this have ever happened? And, and interestingly, they all, they all quoted, or I, I don't know about all, but it seems like all, it seems like all of them quoted this guy, John Owen. <laughs> John Owen was, uh, was considered the, the theologian of the Puritans and, and uh, he wrote, he's got a 16 volume set called the works of John Owen and I got all 16 volumes of them, but this is the, the volume that they quoted, volume six. Volume six is, um, entitled, On the Mortification of Sin. They were all quoting John Owen and uh, his Mortification of Sin volume. And, and uh, one of the quotes that I, that I really liked, uh, that somebody used, I forget which article, but um, they quoted Owen as saying, uh, Be killing sin or it be killing you. You know, guys, I think we all have realized that uh, living a holy life is not as easy as we may have thought. Um, you know, there's nothing is more obvious than our need for change. That is, being made more into the likeness of Christ. Nothing, nothing is more obvious than that, but nothing is less obvious than, than how that change takes place. Right after that event, um, it was around Christmas time uh, when when I, I read this book. It's called Fleeing Fundamentalism, and uh, <laughs> I don't want you to read this thing. Uh, uh, now, if you insist, but the contents of this thing are—I mean, it'll curl your eyelashes. Some of the stuff that's in this book. Um, it's written by a pastor's wife uh, who says some pretty raw things in here. But there is one episode that I want to tell you about that I, I think is um, suitable for public consumption. Um, this woman who writes this book, um, in her college years, attended a Bible college in Montana. Big Sky Bible College. And um, it was there that she met the man who would eventually become her husband. I mean, he was a hot shot and, and kind of the big man on campus at, at Big Sky Bible College. And uh, she just fell over, head over heels in love with this guy and, and was just so taken with him because he was just this, that, and the other. And um, <laughs> she married him and he turned out to be a maniac, um, which might be a familiar story to some of you. But anyway, the guy was just, I, I mean, you can't imagine what this man did. You just... You just can't imagine. But anyway, um, while they were still dating and in, in their college years, um, they were struggling, which a lot of couples do struggle in college as they're dating. And the longer they dated, the bigger the... And it was with their sensual desires. And so she decided, this, this authoress uh, decided that she was going to combat her flesh and she came up with a plan to do so. And this was her plan. First thing was that the, the Bible college where she attended um, had a rule. The rule was no touching. That is, girls don't touch boys and boys don't touch girls. And so she was going to adhere to that college rule rigorously. And um, her, the second part of her strategy was she went out and she got herself a copy of this book. Fox's Book of Martyrs. 
I tried to read this once. I mean, it is such a downer about how Christians have died and been persecuted. I didn't make it very far in this book, but she got her a copy of this book because she wanted to concentrate on suffering. And she wanted to concentrate on the suffering of God's people and, and uh, the suffering of Jesus. And, and uh, uh, this was all part of her strategy now to combat her, her own sensual desires. And the, the, the last part of her strategy, the, the coup de grace, the, uh, the biggie, was that she decided that she was going to get up at 545 every morning. And she was going to spend an hour, 60 minutes, not 58 minutes. Not 62 minutes, but 60 minutes in a closet, in a literal closet. And so every morning she got out of her dorm room, she went down the hall, and she found uh, a broom closet, a literal broom closet. And there she stayed. What she was doing in there, I'm not real sure, but... Um, uh, she, she stayed in that broom closet, uh, supposedly praying. The outcome? Rather predictable. It didn't work. In this battle against her own flesh, it didn't work. In fact, she even... And by the way, none of those things are wrong. You want to read that book? Go right ahead. You know, you want to... Closet? Nothing wrong with those things. Although she did say that um, uh, she fell asleep many of the mornings that she was in there. But um, the battle of the flesh, the the mortification of the flesh, um, and, and and I think the word that registers to most of us change. Just accomplishing change that will make us more like Christ. That'll never work. And really, I, I probably don't even need to tell you that because, um, you know, some of us have already tried that. And it didn't work. In fact, we even threw in some, um, some scripture memory. And by the way, scripture memory is, is, um, is not something that you could do at this college. I mean, I, actually, you could do it, but if you went to this college, um, and uh, asking a woman to memorize scripture with you was tantamount to a pre-engagement. So you couldn't do that. But, but we tried it. We kind of threw in some scripture memory too. And, and um, it didn't work either. Um, none of it works. And indeed, my brother and sister in Christ, it can't work. And I hope to show you why. Folks, um, what we need in our pursuit of Christ-likeness is not more rules. But what we need is a clear understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's the purpose of this series that we began three weeks ago or so. The purpose is to help the people of God grasp... The implications of the gospel. With particular reference towards this battle that we're in with our own flesh. Trying to, to tame it. Trying to bring about change and, and become more like Christ. What I'm seeking to do is 
give the people of God a greater understanding of who we are because of what Christ has done. Guys, in, in this battle, um, and I hope you don't mind me calling it a battle, uh, for those, like Ted Eggert would call it a battle, and many of us who know our own flesh and are honest uh, would call it a battle. Um, we, we live on a continuum between, between freedom and, and slavery. And, and the battle that we're in, I guess, is really one of the surest signs that we belong to Christ. We're not trying to change so that we can escape hell. That's settled. The goal is to be free from our slavery to sin and our bondage to self and our our functional idolatry so that we can actually begin to take on some of the character qualities of Jesus Christ. But I'm I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, Let me go back and... And um, let's try to figure out why an hour in the broom closet uh, won't work. Uh, let, let's try to explain that first, and, and then we'll, we'll go forward from there. Um, here, here's my outline for you this morning. I really, <laughs> um, I've really sunk to all-time lows in terms of an outline this morning. Here's my outline. Point one, verse eight. Point two, verses six and seven. Point three. Verses 9 and 10. <laughs> that's the best I can do. So that's how we're going we're gonna to approach this with that outline. So the first point is I want you to take a look at verse 8 in what I read you out of Colossians 2. Uh, let me read it for you. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, gang, what, what Paul is doing there is issuing a warning He's warning us that we not be taken captive. The Greek word there can be translated being kidnapped or abducted. Being taken captive by what, Paul? What is it that you're afraid is going to take us captive? Well, look at the text, guys. It says, no one, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Guys, he also mentions it in verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Um, What he's suggesting is that in this battle, guys, we are being offered a variety of, of solutions. And in those solutions, we're being promised various theories of change. And they are appealing... To us, because what they allow is that we can stay in control. Uh, it will cater to our own pride, and it will, um, it, it will, we can establish our own agenda. So, what Paul is warning us in verse eight, guys, is that we're supposed to sift through all of these false promises, these these uh, th- th- these promises that offer solutions in this battle, and and diagnoses. That are, according to Paul, not according to Christ. You see it in verse 8? These these solutions that, um, that remove Christ from the center of biblical wisdom. 
Um, and, and now, let me give you some examples of, of, those, of those things. Um, philosophy, empty deceit, plausible arguments, human traditions. According, Let, let me give you some examples. And, and, and keep this book in mind while I do. Um, in, in my struggle with my own sin and my desire to change to be more like Christ, my problem is my circumstances. Um, you know, what I need is a wife or a different wife or, um, I need a new job or, or, or more money or the respect of my peers. And the, and the, 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 um, the, the argument is that if I can just get new circumstances, then I can change. You know what Paul would call that? He would call it a plausible argument. He would call it empty deceit. He would call it according to human tradition, but it is not according to Christ. Because in all of that, ladies and gentlemen, there's no need for Christ. I, you know, I can, uh, I can um, change my circumstances, and depending on my level of, of discontent, I, um, I can make some changes. Most of them are usually external changes. Um, and um, maybe, maybe calm my conscience for a while. Imagine, imagine this author just going out to change her circumstances. Do you think it would help her in the battle? That's a plausible argument, gang. It's, um, okay, the reason that I'm doing so poorly in this whole battle to become more like Christ is because it's my circumstances. That's what it is. And Paul says, all of these things are not according to Christ. Let me give you another one. The reason that I'm having such a struggle with my own sin and in this battle to change is is because of low self-esteem. You know, what I need is just to feel a bit better about myself. You know, I need to tell myself that, that I can do anything that, that I, that I t- have a mind to. You know, I need to be more positive. I, I, you know, I, I need to assert myself some more. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, to, to, because the problem is my self-esteem, what I'm going to do is that I'm going to go out, I'm going to lose some weight, and I'm going to buy myself some new clothes, We'll see if that works. So what, what, uh, what that would suggest is that you can look into the, inside yourself for the power to change. Not much Christ in that, is there? And by the way, um, if you're battling the same thing she was battling, uh, getting some new clothes and losing some weight, mm, it's probably going to make the battle worse, not better. But uh, it allows me to um, stay in control. Cater to my own pride and, um, you know, have my own agenda. But it's not according to Christ. Maybe one more. Um, the reason that I have so much difficulty in change is because, well, it's my fault. I'm to blame. You know, my, my, my bad behavior or my bad thinking, what I need to do is get myself a copy of that Fox's Book of Martyrs book. I need to start reading some of that. And maybe, maybe I need to be more disciplined. I've been looking for a broom closet for some time now. I need, a, I need, I need to be more disciplined. You know, my, I, my, my temper's out of control. I need to be nicer to my wife and to my kids or maybe both. Um, I, I, I need to go to church more and, uh, you know, get involved. 
So what I'm going to do is I'm going to replace bad behavior with some good behavior. I just need to, I just need to try harder. Still not, not much Christ in that either. You see, guys, all those things, those three things are just examples of, of being kidnapped. Of being abducted by empty deceit and plausible arguments and, and uh, philosophy and human tradition according to the elemental spirits. The, the hope of a transformed Christian life is not through those things plus a lot of church work. You know, those are, that's, that's fine if you want to work in the church, guys. I hope you do. But that's not the thing that's going to change us. The hope that we have, gang, is, is in Christ. Paul says, don't be kidnapped by things, and he lists them, that are not according to Christ. Gang, we've been kidnapped. We've been abducted by empty deceit and plausible arguments, things that we thought were going to work for us. And they haven't. And they won't. What I'm suggesting, my brother and sister in Christ, is that real change begins with, first of all, with with just an honest, intelligent repentance. Calling us to admit that we have forsaken the God and we've settled for lesser gods that were offered to us in philosophy and empty deceit and plausible arguments. We've been taken captive by philosophy or plausible, whatever words you want to use. We've been taken captive. You you know, um, C.S. Lewis would say, we have to lay before the Lord what is in us, not what should be in us. All all I'm saying is, guys, because we are Christians, we don't have to fear honesty with ourselves. We don't have to fear looking into the mirror of God's Word and letting letting it tell us what we're really like. We don't have to run from that. In fact, we, because we are safe, because we are loved, we can start out being honest. Augustine used to say, because we are simul justus et peccator. We are at the same time just and sinful. We're Samuel Eustace at Peccator. J.C. Ryle said it like this. He said, a true Christian is one who not only has peace of conscience, conscience, but war within. The true Christian is somebody who not only has a peace, a quietude, a serenity of his conscience. But he also is, at the same time, experiencing a raging battle within. 
Guys, that's where, that's where I think Paul would have a start. With an honest admission. We've been kidnapped. We have, we have substituted lesser gods for the God that were, and those lesser gods were offered to us in empty deceit, philosophy, and all that business that he mentions there in verse 8. Which brings me to my, after he issues the warning in verse 8, he then issues, or admonishes us in verse 6 and 7. Now look at verse 6, six and 7 with me, guys. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul says, guys, in this, this walk that you and I are in, you need to um, walk in him the same way that you received him. That's what it, look, as you received Christ Jesus, walk that way. Walk in the way that you received him. Now, how, how did we receive him? Well, I think you would agree that we received him by faith. So is that to be our last exercise of faith in Christ? Oh, no. Gang, it is the centrality of Christ that must continue throughout our entire Christian life. Gang, do you remember where this series started uh, three weeks ago or so? It started with Galatians 2.20. Let me quote that for you. Because Paul says the same thing there that he says right here. A lot of different words, but he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And here's what we concentrated on three weeks ago. He says, the life that I now live in the flesh, this one, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. How do I live this life, says Paul? Well, the way you receive Christ Jesus, you walk in it. How do I live this life, says Paul? Well, you, you, you exercise an ongoing faith in the one who loved you and gave himself up for you. Folks, I'm supposed to return again and again to the place where I started. Grasping what Jesus Christ has done for Mortification of my flesh or, or ongoing change takes place in our lives, folks, by our confessing that we need Christ as much now as we needed him when we first entered this kingdom. This, this command to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy is rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is nothing new, guys. Really, it's just a, it's a review of the gospel applied to myself over and over. What I need is not more rules, nor do I even need a closet. What I need is more and more of Christ. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... Okay, walk in him. Now, guys, 
this faith, he says, I, I how did I receive Christ? I received him by faith, and I'm supposed to walk that way. This faith has a content. There's content in this faith that you and I are supposed to exercise. Let me show it to you. Let me read you verses 9 and 10, and I want to read them a second time, and, and, and you'll understand. Um, verse 9 and 10. For in him, that is Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, guys, here's what I want to do. I want to take those two verses and I want to attach them to the end of verse 6. Let me read it again. I'm going to attach those two just to the end of verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Gang, the first thing I want you to notice is that the text says you are full in Christ. It doesn't say you're full of Christ or full with Christ or filled by Christ. It says you're full in Christ. That's what it says right there in verse 10. But look up at verse 9. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him. Everything about God dwells in the person of Christ. And when you became a Christian, all that fullness came to dwell in you. You lack no resources. He, he fills us with himself through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Gang, how did it happen? And I, and I certainly hope you don't hear me being too hard on Ted Eggard because bless his heart... He doesn't need people to be hard on him. He needs people to come alongside and love on him. Because we all have that potential to, to fail miserably. But guys, how does it happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens through believing things that, that, that we can do will affect some kind of Christ-likeness. Like go into a prayer closet or, or memorizing some more scripture. All that does is allow us to stay in charge... It, it, it kind of exacerbates our pride and, and allows me to have my own agenda. Because that ain't going to do it. But if there is any hope for us, and there is, it's in this fullness that is now mine. Do you see what, I mean, it's... It's glorious, guys. Uh, fullness dwells. You've been filled. In. The, the, the focus is fullness, fullness, fullness. All the fullness of God dwells in him, and you have been filled in him. Do you see that? Guys, um, let's imagine that you are a, a, um, a homeless person. And you're living on the streets trying to eke out a living by begging for spare change out of passersby. And um, all of a sudden one day somebody informs you that you've had a dead uncle, you've got an uncle that has died and has left you a fortune. And so everything that was that uncle's has now become yours and you didn't do one thing to deserve any of it. What would you do? 
Don't you think it would be a bit irrational to go on begging on the streets? I mean, if your mind was clear, that is, you had to store it with drugs or alcohol, what you might do is that you might go clean up. You might go um, buy yourself a house. You might buy a car. But you would definitely scorn the life that used to be yours. You would definitely say, well, <laughs> because I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. Because I'm rich. Gang, when, when you became a Christian, Jesus Christ brought enormous assets into that relationship. You are no longer a beggar on the street. Your bank account's full. Now, start drawing from those assets. Start living based on who you now are. You want to know who you now are? Oh, you have been filled. You've been filled. Gang, it is always so seductive to try and find our fullness in, in something other than Jesus Christ. Particularly for you folks, for us folks, for, for, for our ilk. We, we, we try maybe family or career or, or beauty or success. But it's all a false promise that does nothing but enslave us further. And I become, I become a slave to this, this, this synthetic God. I'm, I'm no longer a mother. I'm a slave to motherdom. I'm no longer a, a faithful, good, reliable employee. I'm a workaholic. I, 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 I'm not any more longer, I'm not any longer just concerned to look nice. I'm a slave of fashion. And my dear friends, those gods will never change you. They will only enslave you. And they'll leave you emptier and emptier and emptier. And I was reading the paper last night before I went to bed and there was a picture of Lindsay Lohan. Have you ever seen Lindsay Lohan? I mean, she's gorgeous. The woman is flat, drop-dead gorgeous. What, what do you think about her? My heart aches for the child. But I, that's just an example of trying to find freedom in a lesser God that will do nothing but enslave you. And though we don't have all the resources and all the talents and abilities, and I don't, maybe some of you are that beautiful, but um, I ain't. And, and it's nothing but increased, over time, slavery. If I live out of this identity, that is, that I am full in Christ, then nothing can empty me. But if Christ is not the center, 
then tell me what replaced him. Because whatever that is, that is your functional deity. That is the thing that you worship. That's the thing that has made you its slave. God is satisfied with me because he's satisfied with Christ. And I'm in union with Christ. I'm full. And nothing can empty me. G.K. Chesterton is one of my heroes. And G.K. Chesterton said that his, his, his favorite children's fable was the beauty and the beast. And... Um, you know the, the story about the beauty and the beast? Well, Chesterton summarized the main lesson, and I'm quoting here. He says that the lesson of the beauty and the beast is this. Unlovely things must be deeply loved before they can become lovable. I'm an ugly thing. And I'm deeply loved. Because I am, it's given me the capacity to change. My friend, you are far more ugly than the beast. And in Christ, you are far more loved. And when we grasp that, we become lovable. When I was in seminary, uh, and this is, this is the mid-70s, my last year of seminary, there was a man who, who was being discussed all over the, all over the campus. I mean, every, every conversation he was in, he were, that's an overstatement, but I mean, it was just a lot of discussion going on about a, a man who had started a ministry. I guess the reason that we were talking about it is because I went to Reform Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, and, and um, uh, this ministry had started right outside of Jackson in Canton, Mississippi. Now, you've... You know where Canton is, if you've ever been driving south on 55. Um, it's where the Nissan plant is, right there. Well, uh, he was an African-American brother. Uh, his name was John Perkins. And John Perkins is still alive today. Uh, he's still holding forth and doing a great job. And, but because he was close to us, I guess, I mean, everybody's talked about John Perkins, and John Perkins was speaking here, and John Perkins was being interviewed there. And, and, and uh, one of the stories that John Perkins tells is about a woman that he, that he met who was trapped in the, in the cycle of poverty. Um, she had 10 or 12 kids, and they lived in a four-room house. Now, not a four-bedroom house, a four-room house. And the only thing that they had to eat in the cupboard was cornbread. And so he contacted a church in the, in the, in the area and asked if this church would get involved and try to help this family. And so the, the church began to do what it could and bring um, food over to this, this family. And um, they continued for some, uh, some good, a long time, and it didn't seem to be producing anything, any, any change in the situation whatsoever. And so the longer they brought the food, the more frustrated they got. And, and so they, they got together with John Perkins, the church did, and said, how can the love of Christ deal with these kinds of needs? They were all frustrated. And so John Perkins was saying, you know, he didn't understand it. And so finally one day he went to visit this woman. And it was in, you know, the dog days of summer. And, you know, and, and 
in, in Canton, Mississippi, in central Mississippi in July, ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty doggone hot. Well, um, he drove up to this place where these folks were living, and he found them. He found the, the, the mother and some of the children tearing off wood from the outside of the house to use in the cooking fire. He said, you could see right through the whole house from one side to the other. There were big holes in the house. You could look right through the house. He said, and it was just insanity. Insanity to watch these people tearing the wood off this house. And in only a few months, winter was right around the corner. And, and so the people in the community got frustrated with them and, and said, you know, they're to blame. And, and it's all her fault. Look at how stupid they're acting. And, and, and it's just ridiculous. And so they stopped trying to help and, and said, you know, she's, she's the problem. And to a certain extent, uh, she was the problem. But Perkins came away from that, that, that incident talking about being trapped in the cycle of poverty. And, and what he meant was that the root problem for this woman and so many others like her was not poverty. But she had moved beyond the poverty of her physical condition to a situation where her mind was claimed by the poverty for the poor gang poverty leads them to think just for the moment it's um they can't they can't think about the winter that's four months off because they are consumed by the survival of the present moment it's a culture it's a way of life it's a mentality it's a it's a it's a it's a way of thinking and nobody can help that. Money is not going to help that until you've given them some idea about how to get free of it. Guys, I, I tell you that story not because any of you are trapped in the cycle of poverty. You know, I know better. Nobody here is trapped in the cycle of poverty. Huh? Not us. But we are trapped. We've been taken captive. We, uh, we've been abducted by philosophy and empty deceit. And as a result, not much change going on among us. <laughs> no, sir. And our, our wealth, our bounty... It really only makes our situation worse because it complicates it. it. It makes our situation tolerable so we don't even see how we've been trapped. Gang, there's only one thing that breaks the cycle that has been spun around us by empty deceit. And it is the gospel. The gospel preached to ourselves over and over and over again. Walking in Christ the way that I received him. And drawing from the resources and the fullness that is his.
Go ahead. Spend your 60 minutes in the broom closet. Be my guest. It ain't going to work. I've got an idea. Take 60 minutes and rehearse the gospel to your own soul. Let's try that. Our Father, I do pray that this text, as well as so many others in the New Testament, will help us see that we have been, we, we've replaced you with all kinds of other strategies that aren't working, and then we find ourselves blowing up. Um, and we all can. And wonder how this happened. Father, Teach us what it means to, as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, to walk in Him. To walk in Christ Jesus, drawing from the great fullness that is His and is now ours. Father, there ought not be an alcoholic among the people of God. But there is. There ought not be people trapped in internet porn among the people of God. But there is. Much of the reason because we have been kidnapped by vain deceits. Give us once again a fresh glimpse of the beauty of what Jesus Christ has done for us and the deliverance that he wrought. And we ask it, of course, in his name.